You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Culture Determined on Blogging Heads TV. I'm your host, Ari Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Magdalene Taylor. Uh, Magdalene, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Magdalene Taylor. I'm a former staff writer at Mel Magazine and a current freelance culture writer. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. So... So let's talk just a little bit about about Mail Magazine, um, which seems to have gone under or out of business or something, or they're selling it. Um, and so, for people who don't know, Mail is a is was a, um, a I don't know sort of men's magazine for the twenty first century online. And one of the unusual things about it is that it was started or owned by Dollar Shave Club. And they were the, you know, they subsidized it instead of other possible revenue models that people are trying to make work in the online age. And so I thought that was an, an interesting model. And I, I was bummed that the website was shuttering. And I was bummed because, uh, you know, I vaguely know a couple of people who work there, but also like it seemed like, you know, there's like the Substack model or something. But then if there's just like a company that, you know, wants to let a bunch of creative writers sort of do a but do interesting stuff. Uh, that seems good, and the fact that they decided to stop doing that that seems bad to me. Um, so yeah, so what do you? Uh, so <laughs> do you have any thoughts on? <laughs> obviously, you're you're probably not happy about losing your job, but what 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 do you what do you think about what what's happened with Mel? Yeah, not happy about having lost my job, um, but there's. Uh, there's there's some chance that it's it's not over entirely. I think a lot of us are just sort of in a purgatory right now. Um, it was really nice being under the Dollar Shave Club umbrella for the years that we were, um, and uh, there just might there there might still be a future for Mel, but it would just be not under the Dollar Shave Club umbrella anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But that company's undergone some changes, and I think we're just part of that package deal of changes and. Hopefully there's some future outside of it. Um, but yeah, it worked really well being under Dollar Shave Club because we were like a Dollar Shave Club product, but also not at all. Like we we never had to write about, you know, their racers or anything like that. Okay, so you're right. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't like sponsored content in the traditional sense where you're like, yeah, the brand new you know, check out the brand new yeah. 12 blade or whatever and how great it is. Uh, you're writing yeah. about all sorts of, all sorts of topics. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, never really got in trouble for the insane shit that we said. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it was kind of the perfect relationship while it lasted. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you guys definitely, you know, you were writing stuff that, I don't know where else you would find stuff like this and definitely not, I don't know. I mean, not if you, told me that, like, a subscription razor company, like, launched a magazine. I would not expect it to be the kind of content that you guys were running. So, yeah, it was just very interesting stuff. And, okay, maybe, hopefully, maybe you can live on in some way, but, um, uh, yeah, so, so, so the archives are still up up there, and so you were there, you've been there for, or were there for a couple of years, and wrote a lot of stuff. I was looking at your archive, I didn't realize how prolific <laughs> you've, you've been there, um, and uh, Miles Klee, who has been on, was on this sh- show about three years ago, uh, he was a writer there. Also, would just write this like crazy, you know, uh, 
stuff that no one else, sort of stuff like no one else is, is publishing, sadly, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wrote something like 770 articles in the just under three years that I was there, and in the end I was writing two pieces a day. Um, and That's so, a lot. That's a lot, yeah. Yeah, it, it was a lot. Um, but, so, yeah, some, some of that was, like, culture pieces that I really liked. And then a lot of it was like more service journalism stuff that I wouldn't necessarily promote like on my Twitter, mm-hmm. but uh, was still fun to write and, you know, good experience and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Maybe that's why I wasn't aware of how much you were actually doing. If you weren't putting out, yeah, yeah. you're doing like sort of health, health related stuff, uh, which makes sense for a men's, you know, a men's website. Um, okay. So let's, do you have anything else you want to say about, Mel, before um, we move move on to like your actual the actual content of some of your work, um, you know, not really. Okay. Not really. It was a good time. I love Mel. I I hope it comes back. Basically, mm-hmm. that's it. Okay, so you are an expert, at least of some, some sort, on juggalos, and sure. Yeah. <laughs> would you would you disagree with that or? No, I I would. It's just the kind of thing where it's like, I, expert's like a lofty title, you know? And I almost also feel like the term expert kind of like suggests I'm some, an outsider, like particularly like looking on top of the subculture or, you know, at this point I would identify as a juggalette. Um, okay. That's interesting. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, expert is fine. There's definitely like, there's definitely people who are like much more actually tied into the subculture who are like, you know, living juggalos every day who are probably much better experts. Okay, but, okay, you know but, what I mean? Yeah. Yes. But okay, so but you wrote you wrote your yeah. thesis when you were in college about juggalos, and so okay, what what for people who don't, have no idea what we're talking about, and maybe think we're talking about like people who juggle, you know, uh, balls yeah. or something. What 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 is a juggalo? Yeah, people think I'm uh, saying gigolos a lot of the time so i'm not i'm not talking about um male escorts um i am talking about juggalos the uh fans of the uh horrorcore rap duo insane clown posse um and so uh they're a super devoted subculture predominantly uh lower class white uh often midwestern um and they're best known for wearing clown makeup um and uh, their themes of like carnivalesque violence. Uh, Insane Cloud Posse songs are about, you know, clowns and like, at, you know, jugglers, uh, but they're also about uh, murdering the rich uh, for their crimes against uh, lower class people. And they're very explicit about, you know, chopping up heads and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so. When I guess when did, when did ICP start? It was in the nineties, right? Yeah, in the early nineties. Um, but uh, they've been doing like their gathering of the Juggalos. I think this coming year will be like the twentieth or the twenty first. My timeline's a little mixed up since they didn't have it. Um, last okay, so they did, they did cancel it last year. Yeah, they did cancel okay. it. That makes sense. And other thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I I I feel like I kind of vaguely knew who, who they were, like, in the 90s or in high school. You know, I was, I graduated high, high school in 2001, and so they were, yeah, they were the guys, white rappers, 
um, a, a duo, Shaggy Too Dope, and what is the other one called? Um, uh, Violent J. Violent J. And, yeah, they wear, like, white clown makeup. And it was sort of, I remember thinking back then, it was like, this is really lame, and these this is sort of like, for it was kind of like corn for people who are, like, even more losers than people who like corn. Like, that was that's what I understood it to be, like, yeah. in the late 90s. And then, um, and then, like, just they would pop up, they and their followers would sort of pop up in pop culture over the years, and at one point, like, the Homeland Security Department said they might be, like, a domestic terror threat. Yeah, that was maybe more they, than ten years ago. They are still classified as a gang uh, by the FBI. Um, okay. And so, then, yeah. yeah, and so, so these, so, the, so I guess they had, they had, the, the, the Insane Clown Posse had, you know, popularity in the 90s, and then as with many other bands in the 90s, sort of faded, but the, this subculture developed and maintained, and they have, they have like a label with a, a lot of other um, acts on it, and then they, I guess they, there was a video that they did that became a viral meme called Miracles, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll link to that, probably people even saw it, if they only vaguely remember this. And it's, it's just, I mean, it's, it's somewhere between like, intentionally funny and unintentionally funny. I don't know. I think they're probably, they knew what they were doing, but there's a line where the guy, one of the guys says like magnets, how do they work? And that became a meme. Um, and then, uh, the writer, Nathan Rabin, who used to, or Rabin, who used to write at the AV club, he got really into like the juggalo subculture. And he, he attended this juggalo annual gathering, gathering of the juggalos, uh, which is, you know, sort of like a big music festival outside. And they have all sorts of other like, crazy events associated with it. Uh, and he wrote a book, I think, where he he spent, like, a year, like, following Fish and also the Juggalos around. And I remember reading that. It's, it's a good book. It's also about how he sort of, like, realized he was, like, bipolar <laughs> while he's doing all these crazy things because he's doing all these drugs and freaking out his loved ones and stuff. So I can't remember. Do you, do you remember what that book is called? You know, and off the top of my head, I don't remember. I okay, I'll, the link, I'll put the link below. It's, I remember reading it. I think it was interesting and funny. But anyway, so... So, sort of the subculture continued on. Um, and then, yeah, there were just, I, I don't know, every couple of months it'd be some sort of like juggle related news item that sort of surfaced online or something. Okay, but why why are these interesting people to like study in a, in a not study, but like examine in a context that's not just like, look at these people wearing clown makeup and acting silly and haha. Yeah, well, so kind of like what you were saying about like, people who like corn but are like maybe even bigger losers than people who like corn um i love corn i'd probably say corn's my favorite band okay um, <laughs> well my favorite, my favorite band is counting crows so that's just loser of a different <laughs> yeah. you know a different stripe yeah well so both with corn and insane clown posse i think that like a lot of the reason why people see these fans as losers is like not actually because like they're losers it's because they're poor um mm-hmm. and uh we just tend to look down on people who um you know kind of openly embrace like their uh their class aesthetic and have tried to uh create something unique out of it and that's kind of what i see um with juggalos especially is it's kind of an uh owning of a class identity but also a transformation of it into um something uh empowering and uh kind of community forming um that to me is like the most, uh, you know, like revelatory thing about Juggalos is that like they've, there's really a strong sense of community values um, 
and, uh, you know, different uh, ethics that that they consider to be important. Um, so they, they've kind of found a way to, like, take, you know, the, the, the disjointedness and uh, the challenges of being lower class, white, rural, um, and uh, form an identity around it that can be, like, empowering and comforting. Um, and a lot of people don't have that, you know, a lot of people don't have a sense of community. They don't have a sense of, uh, pride in their identity. Uh, and, you know, oftentimes like when we think about like white working class pride, it's really, you know, it's, it's not good. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's really bad. Um, and that doesn't manifest in, in the juggalo community at all. I mean, juggalos are at least in seeing Clown Posse's music and uh, the ideas that they're trying to make part of Juggalo culture is actively anti-racist and anti-capitalist. Um, so it's not about, you know, it's not about like white, white national identity. It's, um, it's, it's far more about class, but whiteness is definitely, you know, inextricably tied to it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So they are, they are white rappers. I know at least they have a, a couple black rappers on their label. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how you could probably like you know write a dissertation. Probably someone has just on clothes and race, but like, how do they see themselves? Because you know, like rap being an art form that you know African Americans developed, you know, like in the seventies, eighties, and then these guys are doing it with white, <laughs> white and black face paint on. And for a mostly white, um, you know, white following, how, how do how how do they how do they understand that? Yeah, I mean, I kind of think it's like it, it is the M and M of it all, um, where Eminem uh, is very white, uh, but he's he comes from a a, a background that uh, he can kind of make some claims of authenticity to. And what I mean authenticity itself is like you know it's a constructed identity that's like trying constantly being built upon but um you know his his class background of like you know you know eight mile yeah Yeah. (laughs) Uh, that's that's the truth and like he's not he he's not constructing something you know entirely false um Mm -hmm. and so it's it's really similar it's a similar background with insane clown posse i mean down to the detroit thing too oh they're, um, they're from detroit yeah they're from detroit um so they 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 came up in an extremely similar environment to eminem of uh of lower class rap uh around there so um you know i mean i think that it's just about Neither Insane Clown Posse nor Eminem makes any claims to creating rap or that, you know, being their own thing. I think they're both very clear that this this is Black culture um, that they are participating in. Mm -hmm. Um, But particularly with Insane Clown Posse, what they're doing is such a... It's it's really its own own thing. Um, They're obviously not gaining much uh like cultural clout from it because people like you know criticize them and uh are 
generally see them as jokes. You know, they're not like, they're not building that much of their own. They're not building mainstream cultural capital by participating in black culture. Um, Which isn't to say that they haven't become very rich from what they're doing. I mean, I don't really know what their net worth is, but psychopathic records is pretty big. And Mm -hmm. both Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope are wealthy men. Um, But still, the culture is kind of insulated to itself. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, do, do jugglers vote? You know, I mean, some of them, some of them do. Um, most of them are anti-Trump. Um, and it's kind of, it's always interesting looking like at their Facebook groups and seeing what the discourse is. Most of them are anti-Trump. And when somebody is pro-Trump, many other juggalos, like if, if there's a, pro-Trump Facebook post in one of the Juggalo groups. Most of the other Juggalos will say, you know, how are you a Juggalo and you support Trump? It seems the, the two values don't align. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also, you know, pretty anti-establishment. They're definitely not, they definitely weren't like pro-Hillary. They weren't pro-Biden. Um, okay. Were they, they Bernie? Bernie supporters? A, a, lot of, a lot of them were Bernie supporters. But a lot of them are libertarians. A lot of them simply don't vote. Um, it's definitely a mixed bag, but, uh, there's, you know, for a lot of people, there's an idea that like juggalos are, uh, going to be like uh, racist or bigoted in some way. And that is not the case for them as a whole group. You know, there's people, there's always people in a subculture who have, varying values but that's mm-hmm. not true for them as a collective mm-hmm. so th- am i remembering correctly that at some point I- the icp guys like denounced trump or something and they were like if you are maybe it was after charlottesville if, like if you if you're racist get out of our movement or something something along those lines mm-hmm. well they have always like early early in their career they like made a practice of like burning confederate flags oh okay stage. that's interesting um they have yeah they have songs like explicitly about murdering racists and like how fucking stupid you know the confederacy is and the the, the fetishism of it mm-hmm. um they hmm. and do you think that's that's more that's like a midwestern thing that you know most of the midwest was it was in the union <laughs> 160 um, years ago or well you know but you do see you know you do see <laughs> Like, you know, if you go up to rural parts of a lot of any you know, of the North, you, you can yeah. see Confederate flags yeah, and stuff I'm, still. I'm in rural Massachusetts right now, and there are there are Confederate flags, um, right. and it doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, I I don't think it's about them being, like, union, uh, the union <laughs> lovers. Okay. But um, um, it's, I think there's one lyric... Uh, that I'm not, I'm not going to get it perfectly, but, um, it's something like we, you know, we have slaveholders on, on our, on our money. Um, and like, and you want to know like why I kill people. Um, it's about him being like, it's about them being like so mad about, uh, like how slavery, uh, and racism are like foundational to this country that they, they want to chop up bodies. Um, so yeah, (laughs) 
but not which isn't to say like they're not they're not perfect <laughs> um and i don't think that they're like you know like the the face of like allyship in any way but um, <laughs> uh-huh. but they're like I think that they actually put in the work most of the time to like at least be pushing the right ideology in their music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in, in actually a pretty like active way, and not not just like I think that's kind of what like the the benefit of like the the violence that they're talking about is is like it's a little bit less it's a little bit more than just giving lip service to these topics. Like there's there's a real anger and aggression. Right. And, and the, the logo of psychopathic psychopath records is like this sort of little guy holding a, a cleaver. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's called the hatchet man, but he is right. holding a cleaver. Um, that would be my main question for them is why he's not the cleaver man. Cleaver man. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So there's a lot of vi- violent imagery, but also like supernatural, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but they get okay. I, I just feel like it, it's interesting that maybe when you know Nathan Raven started writing about them, you know, a roughly decade ago, it was still sort of seen as like, yeah, these guys are like the scum of the earth, essentially, and just total losers. And then there definitely was a shift, and maybe it was because people were coming out, <laughs> at least in certain subcultures, coming out against Trump or and against what white nationalism, or people were like, oh yeah, like the, like, like these guys aren't so bad, or even like they're kind of cool. And, yeah, and that's yeah. There was a time where people were really trying to say that like juggalos are our comrades, um, <laughs> and and they are. I mean, like this is that this is a working class a working class group that like is mobilized. I mean, they had their own like protest in Washington, right? Um, so that was yeah, that was like, when the DHS or whatever wanted them to be listed as a like domestic terror threat or something. They had, like, a general yeah. march um, mm-hmm. in, in D.C. And, yeah, and the, I mean, yeah. the, the, you know, this it takes, like, there's a commitment to, to doing this stuff. I mean, just probably even just, like, putting the makeup on, you know, if yeah. you're, you're doing it yourself. If not, not all the fans do, but, like, that takes a long time. And, and going, yeah. going to wherever the, the gathering is every year is always, like, a very sort of isolated rural place, as I understand it. Um, yeah. So, okay, so you, but are you a juggalette? Um... You do you identify as a juggalette? Yeah, you know, like if if asked, I would say yes. Um, I like have it. I mean, I went to the gathering, and that was kind of the the consensus. There was like, if you are here and you 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 fuck with what's going on, uh, then then you're a juggalo or a juggalette, um, and. I, you know, I, I was very into it and I'm very supportive of them. And, uh, I don't, I don't want to be somebody who would say no to being a juggalo. So I would say I am a juggalette. Okay. Well, you know, mazel tov and more, more power to you. Do you, do you put the makeup on ever or do you just, uh, listen no, to music? No, I never actually did. I never did with, when I went to the gathering, it was in Oklahoma. Um, and, uh, you know, no offense to Oklahoma and the people who live and love there, uh, but it was hot, dusty. It's like the Dust Bowl still happening there. Um, right, that's where that's where it all started. <laughs> yeah, um, and I could not fathom 
putting like a thick coating of paint onto my face in that environment. Right. Um, plenty of people did, and I, I kind of regret not having done it. Um, but it was really just a matter of being practical. I did get coated in Fago, so. Right. Uh, so explain what Fago is. Fago is a soda brand um, out of out of Michigan. Um, and, uh, it is just loved by juggalos. I mean, it has like a rural, a regional, um, pride to it. So there's a lot of people in the Midwest who just love Fago because that's where it's from and it's, that's what's available and it's cheap and it comes in a lot of like crazy flavors. Like, you know, there's like cotton candy stuff and then there's like, I don't know, like moon juice type flavors where it's like something, <laughs> some flavor, um, but yeah, it's kind of just, it's like a, just a fun, cheap soda and they love to shake up the bottles and throw them into the audience. And yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's, I mean, I just thought it was kind of like, you know, maybe at, you know, it, it, it's like the poor person's version of like spraying champagne around or something like, you know, after yeah. the, you win the yeah. title to game or something, you're like spraying Absolutely. like cheapest, <laughs> cheapest soda yeah. around each yeah. other. Um, okay. So is there a piece a bet that you've written about juggalos that you would direct people towards if they were interested in learning more about them? Yeah, well, I mean, I would direct people to my undergraduate thesis, even though it's 111 pages and I haven't, like, updated it since I graduated college. I, like, mm. defended my thesis and just did not did not edit it. Um, but if they were interested in looking at it, I have it linked on my my website that the magdalentaylor.com um my portfolio website i have that there um and yeah i uh you know i i like i think that youtube and looking at juggalos on there is a good place to start uh understanding juggalo culture mm-hmm. but i think it's super important to not uh to not only just take in like the, the visual of it all and the the shock value of mm-hmm. it um, because that's what a lot of the work on juggalos has done is just so you know look at these fucking juggalos look how crazy they are look at these idiots in clown paint right um, it's it's fine to do that <laughs> to an extent but yeah i it's a mix it, it's it's a mix of seeing it but also hearing what juggalos themselves have to say so Mm-hmm. Yeah, something, um, you know, maybe one of the other sort of cultural shifts <laughs> that may put Juggalos in a better light was like, there's just so much, there's so much negativity online. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but like, and so <laughs> here are these people who just seem to be like enjoying themselves. They really love this yeah. music. They really love dressing up this way. Like, unless maybe Tila Tequila would be a counterexample, but like, they, they're not hurting anybody. Yeah. And they, um, you know, like, God bless them, have fun. It, it, so it's, you know, it's sort of like the, um, you know, people who, like, dress up in, like, medieval costumes and, like, fence, you know, or fence yeah. foam sword or something like that. Like, at some point, it, the cultural attitude was like, these are dorks, these are losers, like, get out of here, fuck them. And, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> something seemed to change where it's like, at least they're not, you know, storming the Capitol or something. Like, they, they, they're just doing yeah. their thing, they're having fun, God bless them. Yeah, you know. yeah, they're, they're having a better time than a lot of people are. <laughs> Um, and you know, they, they have friends, they have a sense of community, they have a sense of identity and a lot of people don't have that. So yeah, that's what I think is, yeah, 
it's nice. Yeah, it is like good for them. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's so many worse things you could be getting into like in America yeah. over the past yeah. ten years. Um, Absolutely, this, this is not so bad. Uh, uh, we've come to realize that. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about some of the other things you wrote about at Mel. Oh, so, okay, so one uh, one um, is uh, simps, and so mm-hmm. I think I, I read the first simp piece, or at least one of the first simp pieces you read. You wrote, and then you did an update at some point. But what is and so part of it is that, like, the definition of simp is, is possibly changing. And this was a word that started, I started seeing online a lot, you know, a year or 18 months or so ago. And how would how would you define this, this word simp? Yeah, well, so that's a, a word that was fully developed in, like, 90s rap. Um, like, 3-6 Mafia type origins, um, where... It, it was originally it originally stood for sucker or somebody idolizing mediocre pussy. Um, so you know, a very derogatory term towards right. towards somebody who, like I don't know, is helps pay like some mediocre woman's bills or something like that, who are just is like or just chasing a woman who is not top quality by somebody's standard, something like that. Uh-huh. So, it, it, um, so okay, so are the lexicographers sure that this did originate in, like, an acronym? Because a lot of times, not a lot of times, sometimes there's a word that bubbles up and then people do, like, a, a like, backronym to, like, you know, define yeah. what it was. And, like, even the word fuck, I think, you know, there's this false etymology of for unlawful carnal knowledge. That's not real. But this is actually was created as, a, as an acronym and then it, it took off. Well... You know, that's, uh, you're possibly right that it's just because <laughs> okay. somebody said it, um, because it does, I mean, like, it sounds like wimp, like it, it has that kind of vibe to it. Um, but like one of the original lyrics that it was in, um, he says like, uh, I'm a pimp, not a simp. Okay. Um, and it's at least generally accepted that like, this is that, that's what it meant. Um. And even if that's not what the acronym, like, even if that acronym is made up after the fact, it's still, that acronym is accurate to what, uh, what the tone of the word was supposed to imply. Okay. Um, yeah, but somehow, uh, like on TikTok, it's taken on a totally new meaning, um, where it still implies, uh, kind of like chasing chasing a woman or not not necessarily a woman anymore but chasing somebody being kind of like affectionate still kind of wimpy in a way but in a much less misogynistic way um where i mean it's it's kind of taken on multiple forms the first time it was more like these men are wimps uh to women but it it didn't have the mediocre pussy uh, part of it, really. Right. So, um, so in the online world, as I understood it, it would be like the guy, the woman posts the sexy selfie, and the, and the it's like the guy who's like always faving it and saying like looking great or yeah. something. But like he never, you know, he's just like hoping for some, you know, what is that? Uh, that meme with like with uh, the Robin Hood, um, Disney Robin Hood was like chromo uh, pussy. You know, he just like yeah. wants the littlest bit of acknowledgement from the yeah. the hot girl, and and so there's making fun of that sort of pathetic. 
um, part of it. And then since I, I am not a TikTok person, but mainly on Twitter, it, it became known as like, sort of, you know, like a reply guy, an insult to a reply guy to a popular woman. Um, and I actually, I, don't, I, I think I'm sharing this publicly for the first time. I was accused of being a simp by someone. <laughs> I don't even remember who or why, but the proof that this person offered that I was a simp was they did a, a Twitter search of all my replies to um, Brandy Jensen tweets. Mm-hmm. And um, and we actually follow each other, so I, you know, if she does a joke, sometimes I'll do a, just a reply guy joke. And so I, I thought simping, you know, guilty, but it was, he was just like, you know, like, you reply to Brandy Jensen, you're a fucking simp. And, you know, uh, like, yeah. scum of the earth, get out of here. And, and then, yeah, it was, it really, it like, blew up for some length of time where pe- people were calling to their simps. And, and then I think, could it even, like, it sort of over, could overlap with, like, stan culture in some ways? Because, like, mm-hmm. you could be a simp for, like, Marvel or something, and then you're always, like... Yeah. You know, yeah. something like a pathetic, like a pathetic fan kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And what I think is, like, strangest about this resurgence of the word is that people will say, like, to a, a partner, like, I'm simping for you. And it's like, you are saying that this person has like a, a mediocre pussy like te- <laughs> technically uh-huh. so that's but i mean but obviously like that the term is just it's shifted away from that entirely like it doesn't have that meaning anymore but that's what's so that, that's really like the key thing about the shift is that it's no longer an insult to the person who is the like the object of the affection um whereas once it it really was like an, an insult to women. Um, okay, so it's now, it's slightly less misogynist than it used to be. Yeah, I mean now, like, uh, I saw I saw so many TikToks of like of young lesbians using the term um, that like they're simping for somebody. Um, and like a, like a celebrity or like a, a person in real life. A person in real life. Okay. Um, but also, I mean, celebrities can apply to it too. But like, no, they would they would use it to, for like somebody that they actually had a crush on. Um, mm-hmm. But it didn't have any of that air of like insult to it. So that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, crush. I guess you know, <laughs> it, it's a very, it's a very like middle school sort of term. And it, yeah, it gets, people still, adults still say they have a crush on other people, but I guess there is something searching for some. Term that, that is a little more grown up. When I was in high school, people in my high school started saying "sweat" instead of "crush." Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sweating her. I don't know if that. I don't yeah. know if that where that came from. Or <laughs> people. I don't think people in the larger world ever embrace that. But that was sort of another. Yeah, you just don't want to say "crush" because it makes you sound like a little kid. I guess. Yeah, I mean, there is like still that sense that like this is like embarrassing because you're in a vulnerable position. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think that a lot of like the youths who are using the word today do not know that it's an acronym at all or that it was an acronym. Um, so yeah, but I mean, I guess that's like, I, I guess it's a good thing. Like people are not referring to mediocre pussy constantly. Right. So (laughs) I mean, you know, well, the, 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 I'm thinking, like, incels and stuff, and, like, the misogyny within incels, but then, like, do incels, incels just seem to want any pussy, not to, like, 
you know, that's the whole thing. They don't, like, is it mediocre or not? Like, they don't even know the difference between mediocre well, and not mediocre pussy because they never had it, so... Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of... I think that with a lot of incels today, it's... A lot of them see themselves as involuntarily celibate because they would refuse to have sex with a woman that they deemed of, like, lower value. Right. That their standards are actually, like, way too high. Right. And it's not that they would have sex with anybody. Um, it's that they, they think that they are deserving of, you know, a, a top tier. Right. I actually just, a couple days ago, was listening to a podcast um, called After the Orgy, and the guest was saying that the problem with the incels is they're not horny enough. If if they were as horny, this guy was like someone who had said to you would like slept with ten thousand women or something, and you know he was like, I'll take it, like I'll sleep with any woman, but like you know that's just how horny I was. Whereas incels, yeah, you know they don't they, clearly they're not not horny enough. So I never considered that part of yeah. it. Uh, um, Funny way of putting it. The, and then one there was a TikTok. Some of these, I guess, one of the things with TikTok is like embedding a tweet or something. Sometimes they disappear. But in one of the articles, there was a TikTok of a young woman, and she has sort of, like, aqua green hair, and she's giving advice about fuckboys, like, how to deal with a fuckboy. Do you remember this? Yes. Yes. It, I, I think... It's it was, it, evolving with simps, like, you know, the fuckboy's yeah. sipping for you, like, what, how, like, how can you treat him and maybe, like, bring him along to, like, become yeah. an actual... How, yeah, how to make a fuckboy simp for you. Okay, that's what it was. Something, yeah, at least something like that, but... Yeah, so it was like she she wants the she, she wants to be associated with this term. Um, so which, is yeah. so is so, so you're I mean you're you're referring to the youth, so you're obviously uh, more connected to this these people than I am. So are the, is the fuckboy and the simp are they opposites? If if you can if you want to turn one into the other, the fuckboy only wants to fuck. The simp is like catching catching feelings, as the, as the yes. kids say. Yeah, the simping. Definitely involves catching feelings, whereas a fuckboy is somebody yeah, who does not have have the feelings or or something like that. Yeah, he only um, has a fuck, and, and hence yeah. hence the name. But watching this video, um, you know, not knowing who this woman was or anything, I, it struck me that the advice she's giving is basically like the rules from from the nineties. Um, yeah, of like like you know never so so that this was this book that a dating guy that came out in, in the earlier mid-90s and became super successful, and one of the things was, like, you know, never call never call them, like, after the date, never be the first one to call back, like, make him call you back, and this seemed to be, like, the exact same thing as it was, like, don't text him back, make him te text you back, like, you know, treat him like shit, and he'll want, yeah. you, he'll want you even more. So it just it was funny seeing this, I don't know, like, 16-year-old woman with, with blue hair, like, reiterating the, uh, the received wisdom from 25 yeah. years ago. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of all, like, adopting, like, pickup artist strategies, it seems, um, without, you know, knowingly doing so. Um, I, I I kind of think that's destined to make a, a comeback soon. Um, the pickup artist stuff? Yeah, maybe now that, maybe now that we're in, you know, hot vax summer uh, coming up, that'll... Right. Yeah, that's interesting be because I think people are going to want to go out to bars and other places where there are a lot of people around uh, yeah. for obvious reasons. And then a lot of that, the pickup artist stuff was before dating apps. And so it was more like how to pick up women at a bar or a club yeah. or, so, or something like that. Um, yeah, I think there's going to be a big turn to to in-person 
uh, flirting and the, the strategies. Right. It. Right. Yeah. And so maybe the guys will be wearing those huge hats again, like yeah. this mystery <laughs> from um, the great VH1. Uh, I wonder if that thing stands up that I watched it at the time. Um, this, this reality show where they were like making over guys and keeping them pick up artists. Stuff yeah, to, to pick what up women. That's on Paramount Plus. They've got a lot of those old VH1 shows. <laughs> they, I, probably someone in like you know like standards or something probably would have flagged that one. Is it? Let's just pretend this one. You know, we'll just bury this one because <laughs> it probably comes off oh. looking pretty bad fifteen years later. Honestly, um, but another another fatality of cancel culture. Yeah, the woke the woke brigades <laughs> have got canceled. What was it? What was that show called? Was it called to the pickup artist? I don't quite remember. I don't remember either. This guy whose nom de plume was mystery, who taught, who taught young dorky guys. They were like basically incels before that term was prevalent of how to yeah. how to get women and using pickup artist strategy, and that became known as PUA, I think, online. And yes. a lot of these things involved like insulting the woman or her <laughs> subtly or try, yeah. yeah. And so that is it. Somewhat is somewhat similar to what this woman was. In the, in the TikTok was advising you to do, like treat treat the guy like shit and he'll come um he'll come crawling to you. Um, yeah. So I guess yeah, that there's something to that. Artist. Yeah, I just looked it up. It was just the pickup okay, artist. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that hat that mystery wore that's definitely making a comeback. I would bet money on that. Um, you know that I mean I just maybe think that that like mystery's thing. He like he he sort of looked almost like a juggalo, like he because he would wear like heavy makeup and some sort yeah. of elaborate costume yeah. kind of thing. So it was like a different, obviously a different like background and approach, but um, it somehow was like make yourself stand out in some ways and from from the crowd. Um, yeah. Okay, possible crossover. <laughs> Juggalo pickup artist. Who knows? Okay, but let's okay <laughs> move on to uh, one or two other articles you wrote. So one, okay, so and obviously, if people are still listening to this, you know, we're discussing some sex stuff and using some words that you know you probably wouldn't want a small child to listen to or something. Um, but that's fine. But just we're going to continue doing that. And so you wrote an article about big naturals um, mm-hmm. recently, and so for people who don't know what that means, how would you define big naturals? Well, big naturals is kind of like a memeified term for uh you know breasts uh or boobs um and in the, i mean there's kind of like an image associated of d- big natural boobs uh but it's kind of become like a catch-all term for any set of breasts whether they be natural or not or or big or not okay um, that's confusing but <laughs> yeah it, yeah i mean that's just kind of it that's at least like the spirit of it but um some people talk about like kind of like a, a big naturals energy kind of in the same way of like big dick energy okay um it's just kind of like the the joy of of a bosom um uh yeah, it has a lot of, of it has broad applications, but it's okay. kind of just like um, it's a, I I see it as almost like an innocent, an innocent love of breasts, um, not necessarily like in a hypersexualized way. Mm-hmm. Kind of well, kind of flipping, kind of flipping the hypersexualization of it because I think like Big Naturals probably originated as like a Pornhub like milf title, okay, you know, like Big Natural milf. That kind of thing. Okay. Um, but now it's kind of 
it's like just it it's it's just nice. You just you just think about how like that's a it, it's nice and comforting in a way, kind of motherly, I would say. Right. Um. So. So yeah. So this is. I mean, there's this is Freudian. You know, in, in obvious ways. If you're thinking like, you know, attraction to like your mother's bosom or something, bringing back to innocence, and then, but also in a sexual way. So is it is part of it sort of like people are tired of um of fake fake breasts, fake tits, and so like the natural part means like you know because we're sick of the people are sick of like the '90s like porn aesthetic or something of, like, giant breasts and plastic surgery and, and so forth, and so this is just, you know, this is this is natural. Well, I think that that contrast is important, but it's funny because I also think that right now we're having, you know, a, a bimbo moment where that whole plastic surgery, fake boobs thing, it, it, it's kind of coming back. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I kind of think it's like, it's sort of like an ownership, I think, of, like, boob love. Like, it's taking it away from, like, the idea of, like, who the boob guy is. Um, as, like, like a boob guy is probably, like, like a 45-year-old who, like, drinks Bud Light and, like, vacations, uh, like, in Ocean City, Maryland or something like that. Um... <laughs> Okay, interesting. So, it's kind of like reclaiming that, um, but while still holding on to like the ethos of just like the, the un, like an un, an unbridled appreciation for breasts. Um, so, I mean, I do think maybe it does have something to do with like the the ass era, and that maybe we are moving on mm -hmm. from that to an extent. I mean. But did David Miles write a piece about this? Also about he, he wrote about how there's like yeah, boob guys. Okay, yeah, he, war. yeah, the boob guys versus the ass guys, and yeah, I guess yeah. <laughs> at some point, liking asses became the you know thinking man's um, way to get horny, and, yeah. and so. But he wrote a piece. Um, like I said, Mel would publish things that no you know no, no other outlet would publish. Uh, but he wrote this funny piece, you know, saying like can't, we can all come together in brotherhood or, or something like that. Um, yeah. But then you wrote yeah. a piece about pogs, and these are not these are not the pogs that I grew up with, which were these little discs of cardboard that yeah. you would throw at each other and like flip and then collect and stuff. Uh, this is P A W G S, and so what is what is that? This one's definitely an acronym. Um, it stands for fat, the P H fat ass white girls. Um, so white girls with big butts um and i do not i do not think that these they're, they're not mutually exclusive in fact a lot of pogs also have big naturals I, um, yeah i mean for obvious yeah for biology would dictate yeah that so yeah so um yeah i the pog thing that i wrote um was actually like one of my earliest pieces for mel uh, I, it was in an, a time when you could still find, like, some really horny Instagram accounts, and they were, like, really big accounts, um, with thousands and thousands of followers. Today, those get shut down pretty quickly. Hmm. Um, so posting, but, like, actual porn stuff, or just, like, on no, the edge? Just, like, just, 
yeah, on the edge, like really like up close, uh, like ass bikini shots. Um, so things that like, I don't know if they even technically violate Instagram's guidelines, but they're just too, too sexualized to continue. Um, but yeah, there was a time where there were these big, big Instagram ass accounts and a lot of them were pog oriented. Um, and I, I interviewed a couple of the guys who run these accounts. Um, and also it was kind of a, a gonzo piece where I, I was one of the pogs on the account. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that aspect. Of yeah. It. So that was, that was certainly interesting. Um, so, so, okay. Explain <laughs> that, explain that more. Was your, your content was, um, you know, collated by, by this third party or. Yeah. Well, so I, uh, I, I was interested in the piece having having occasionally been called a pog myself. And so I went into writing about about this phenomenon, about like this kind of porn term. And so I reached out to these Instagram accounts and they were like, you know, you're a pog yourself. And I was like, okay, well, like, let's see, let's see how this goes. So they, cause they were like, yeah, if you want to, if you want to be on this account, we'll, we'll let you on. And I said, okay, let's see what happens. Um, okay. and what happens is you get a lot of, like, horny Instagram followers. <laughs> uh, that's, that's really the extent of it. Um, okay. But, so this is a little bit like when, um, uh, what's her name went undercover at the, the, um, Playboy Club in the, in the 60s, when, uh, the woman who founded Biz Magazine. Glory yeah. Steinem. Yes, that's, that's a really nice way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're, you're the natural heir to... To uh, Gloria Steinem, um, and yeah, okay, so yeah, and then you you, know, you did something once about like yeah, reading like you did a video where you were reading like the comments, the corny comments that were left <laughs> under your Instagram posts and and so forth. And, yeah, so how do you think about all this stuff? I mean, obviously you you know you have your own you have your own account. There's not a pog account. It's it's you know, photos of you and so forth. Um, how do you you know what what do you make of <laughs> of all that. Yeah, I mean, I sort of just, at this point, I've, I've decided to just lean into it. I mean, like, kind of, I, I feel like as a writer, you kind of have to take what audience you can get. Um, right. And uh, I know that uh, that plenty of people who might have followed me, like, from that, that POG account now, like, read my work. So... I accept that. And also like, I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 24. Uh, a lot of, I kind of like came as an, came up as an adult on Instagram before, you know, actually having a job or anything like that. And like that, that's just how young women were using Instagram in, in college and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so it kind of just coincided naturally. And I decided I didn't really want to change much about, uh, my uh social media identity and that's also something that you know mel allowed for i think if i was working at a number of different publications i might have had to clean up my act a bit um but <laughs> it didn't happen have you thought have you thought about going private or something now that uh you know you're <laughs> or you're sticking with the brand i'm sticking with the brand um i mean like i people like if, if anybody's been like tracking my social media identity i have like 
publicly t- toned it down a tiny bit. Um, <laughs> okay. People might disagree, but <laughs> I, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I just think it's kind of part of the package deal. And uh, like I said, it's, it's gotten me some readership. So <laughs> I, I will accept that. So, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's like in this economy, you know, like, like, yeah. you, like you got to do what you got to do um, in this online economy. Um, okay, wait, there's one more I want to at least, bre- one more article I at least want to briefly bring up, which is one you wrote about uh, dating a- dating apps and, and guys who post photos of themselves with their cats. And mm-hmm. I guess there was a study that came out um, showing that women, like, you know, value men who, who have photos with cats in their dating profiles less than without or with dogs. And I was, um, I posted just a couple days ago about, um, being in the process of adopting a cat. And, and one of my followers, um, sent that, sent that study to me, uh, being oh. like, you know, this, this is going to be bad for you. And, um, I, I, I think I'm outside the demographic uh, that this was studied, um, such that, you know, well, whatever. But, um, I, yeah, I think it's, um, it's interesting, and, and you know, it, it's gets to like the self presentation that everyone does all the time now online, of you know who you are and who you, you know, the the, the persona you're you're creating. Um, and it, I mean, it was it's somewhat it's kind of a bummer. I mean, I'm a, I'm both a cat and a dog person, but like thinking like maybe there's some guys out there who are like, oh, like maybe I'll adopt a cat one day, and then they see this and they um, they decide not to. Um, and then, you know, there's more cats at the shelter, um, not getting adopted because of this, this idea of this particular study. But you, 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 even though you reported this, you kind of thought it was, you were like, you know, don't. Yeah. I mean, I really hope that it hasn't translated to more cats in a shelter at all. Cause that would be very sad, but it's also just, I think that worrying about that kind of thing is, it's kind of like ruining whatever potential good you can interpret from online dating that like with online dating you have a much larger pool of people uh to who who will either you know accept who you are or or they're not interested um and to try to curate your online identity your social media identity particularly your dating app one is kind of what I mean to say um, to like be appealing to the broadest pool of people is kind of beside, besides the point, because you want to find somebody who you're, you're most compatible with. Uh, I, I, I think, I mean, it depends on what your goal is. If, if you're somebody who's exclusively looking to hook up with people, then yeah, maybe, maybe the cat picture, um, you shouldn't have it. That doesn't mean you can't have a cat. Just maybe don't pose with the picture. <laughs> right. But I mean, but if you, if you have a cat, you love your cat, your cat's a part of your life, yeah, take, take a picture with your cat. I mean, because there are going to be people out there who like cats and like guys who have cats, and you, you might not get as many swipe, swipes on the, the women who aren't interested in that, but you will still hopefully come across the right ones. I don't know, I just... Uh, I, I think that studies like that shouldn't just shouldn't deter people because what it just does is encourage people to not be themselves. And I like to think that that's like the one thing that online dating allows you to do is to be yourself. 
Hmm. Um, but maybe that's naive. I don't know. <laughs> I think that might be naive. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're looking, if that's what you're looking for. I mean, the fuck boys. So the fu- if there's a fuck boys out there, don't who have cats. You know, don't put them in your profile because that will dissuade some women. But for you know the potential simps out there who are looking for <laughs> someone to devote themselves to and and so and yeah. You know, so on and so forth, then, um, uh, you know, show your, show your true self, I guess. Okay, so I, this may be the last question I'll ask. Um, what, what have you learned about men or young men from working at Mel, uh, you know, being a woman writer, uh, a young hot woman writer, is that, isn't that what your, uh, what your yeah, Twitter bio says? Um, you know, what did you, uh, were there things that you believed when you started working there you no longer believe or, or anything like that? Um... I don't think that there's anything in particular that I believed about men uh, broadly before I started working at Mel, but it definitely confirmed um, that men are just like very insecure um, in a lot of ways and, and, and have a lot of anxieties about little things um, that I think a lot of other men's publications weren't really addressing i mean and if they were addressing these anxieties they weren't framing them as anxieties um i think a lot about how i mean i i kind of started getting onto this beat where i exclusively covered penises um and well not exclusively but like 50 percent covered penises and so i was like constantly on google trends and stuff looking at like what people were searching for related to penises and there's just so so many people worried about like about their size and what what's an average size and uh, things like that where it's kind of or like what what constitutes big and it's like there's a lot of anxieties about these kind of opaque terms um and constructs that don't really have a definition um I, like i don't think any of those questions can really Fully be answered, um, and and that that's that's kind of a lot of it. Just these anxieties that are probably not fully being understood as anxieties, or like anxieties that aren't really being given much much thought or crit- personal criticism to. Uh, yeah, uh, and also just. I mean, I think working with a lot of men at a men's magazine has taught me also that, like, they're very, very neurotic, definitely. Um, <laughs> well, those are all writers, so, you know, that's, yes. a, that's a subsection. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, that's probably, yeah, I, I I would say it hasn't been, like, a normal pool to be working with or right. to even be, like, writing about, so it's hard to say. <laughs> um, but, yeah. I think, I think there's just a lot of under-discussed anxiety and neuroses there. Um, that's, inter- that's interesting. I mean, it's sort of like the a traditional American understanding of masculinity is like, you're supposed to know how to do these things and do them. Like, you know, mm-hmm. John Wayne knows how to, you know, build a fence or whatever, and he, and he yeah. can do it. Um, and, yeah, just being like... And so, if you don't know how to do those things, or you know one ever taught you how to do those things... Um, you know, where, where are you supposed to go? I guess you look on, like, uh, you know, Wiki, uh, How or something like that. But, like, whereas, you know, a lot of the, the discourse around women is, like, 
trying to get women like anxious about 10 million things and they'll like so they can buy a product that will you know like correct that thing yeah and, and so forth yeah um and yeah and, and so i the just the and like yeah I, I guess i never you know like i guess maxim was sort of like the men's magazine when i was you know like in my late teens and early 20s and I don't even know if that's still around anymore, but that was definitely a worse, a worse version of masculinity than what probably either, honestly, probably worse than like the John Wayne version, but also worse than the, uh, than the Mel magazine version. Um, and yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but like, there's definitely, there's a, a market out there for, you know, something <laughs> that is different than, you know, like cigar aficionado or whatever the fuck, yeah. like other stuff is out there for, yeah. for men. So much of men's media is, like, trying to get you to buy a watch, basically. That's that's kind of, like, the crux of a ton of it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's what I, I really loved about Mel, is that it was room for something different. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that there's still, you know, there if Mel doesn't become reincarnated into something else, then it's, there's going to be a big gap in, uh, in the online space for something that, uh, is honest about the anxieties of, of men and of masculinity. Yeah. And there's a lot of bad stuff out there. I mean, there's, you know, there's like the incel pickup artist stuff, like the like manosphere, like men going their own way. There's, uh, there's Mike Cernovich who wrote a book called Real Mindset that actually I reviewed a couple of years ago, um, and that you know is mostly garbage. Also, yes, there's just a lot of, especially online, there's a lot of bad, sort of like you know yeah. lifestyle stuff for men or advice for men, and um, I don't know what the, what the good one would be exactly, but um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, something that's just honest. I mean, and that's the other thing that, like, with Mel, it was, like, very, you know, critical of masculinity, but doesn't inherently see masculinity as a bad thing. Like, I think that the, like, toxic masculinity has become a term that's really, like, grown in popular culture, but it's also become connotated with just masculinity in general. Um, And I don't really think that's, like that's totally fair. Like there has, there just has to be room for like the, for a middle ground. Um, right. And yeah. I, we're, I mean, this could be a whole other conversation, but like, yeah, like the men are trash, you know, male tears, mansplaining, like all these things bubbled up over the past 10 years are like telling men, you know, you're bad. Shut the fuck up. And like, probably a lot of men need to be told you're bad. Shut the fuck up. But you yeah. can see how that message drove people towards, you know, like, the alt-right, or whatever, um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's bad as well. Yes, absolutely, that, it's, it's totally true, like, that, I think that, in a lot of ways, at at this point, at least, that discourse largely does just drive people to worse areas of masculinity than making them, I, I don't think really telling anybody to, like, shut the fuck up is going to, like, make them stop being a bad person. At least online, yeah. 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 Uh, people, yeah. you know, people are not going to shut up online. In person, there's definitely some people who probably could use, you know, a straightforward shut the fuck up, but online, people don't listen to that. So. Right. 
Um, okay, let's let's wrap it up there. So, okay, where if people want to follow you, where where should they go? And we'll include the links below um, to yeah. these various places. Um, well, pretty much just Twitter and Instagram at uh, Magda J Taylor. Um, that's kind of the best place to find me and whatever work I might be publishing in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you, thank you for coming on. Um, I'm, I was bummed about Mel and you know you and Miles and other talented people getting laid off, but um, hope, hopefully you'll have a you know an onwards and upwards trajectory. Um, and thank you for taking the time. Um, I do have a special plea to the viewers and listeners. You know, I realize that whenever I um, you know get into a little tiff with some strange group of people on Twitter, um, the people who don't like me uh, go to. Uh, Apple Podcasts and, re- and give me a one-star review on my podcast. Uh, not every time, but this I realize this has started happening. So if you actually are still listening to this and you do like me, uh, you know, go to Apple Podcasts and leave a, leave a five-star rating or review or something, and you know, don't let the haters <laughs> don't let the haters win. And you know that that stuff helps with the algorithm and and uh, helps me and, and and so forth. That'd be for the culture determined uh, podcast specifically, not the blogging as one as a whole. So that's that's just a you know, a plea from from me to you, um, to my beloved beloved followers, listeners, viewers. Okay, uh, thank you, <laughs> thank you, Macklin, for for doing this, and uh, thanks to the viewers and listeners. We'll see you again next time.